The scripture for today's reading comes from Psalm 97, 1 through 5, Psalm 99, 1 through 5, Psalm 96, 10 through 13, Psalm 98, 6 through 9, and Micah 6 through 8. Psalm 97, 1 through 5. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coasts and islands be glad. Clouds and total darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. Psalm 99, 1-5 The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He is enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awe-aspiring name. He is holy. The mighty king loves justice. You have established fairness. You have administered justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Bow and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Psalm 96, 10 through 13. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. He judges the people fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. Psalm 98, 6 through 9. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. Let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the people fairly. Micah 6. Mankind has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Marcella, for reading those passages. You did a great job capturing the heart and the mood of those texts. This Lent, uh, during this season, we are going to be focused on the outward discipline of Lent, which are works of mercy and justice. The inward disciplines of Lent, prayer and fasting and scripture reading, they're still important. I still encourage you to do those, but I sense God moving me and moving our church outward. Justice, it's a word that appeared multiple times in the text that we just heard read. It's a word that occurs hundreds of times, depending on how you count. If you look at just the Hebrew root word for justice, it occurs over 400 times just in the Old Testament alone to describe God, who he is, and to describe the life of obedience to God. But justice, that word has become a controversial word in our current cultural moment, depending maybe on what word or phrases or words we put in front of it. 
like systemic, like racial. In other words, there is a lot of controversy, a lot of disagreement about that. The heart behind this series and this message is reflecting on how the Bible puts these two words in front of the word justice, the words God of. In our CBR reading this week, we read from Isaiah 30 uh, in our weekly readings. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, For the Lord is a God of justice. In front of the word justice, the Bible puts the words God of. And that's our series for Lent. The premise of this series is this. We're going to show this on a slide. I said this last week. The premise is, there is no true justice without Jesus. And there is no true Jesus without justice. So if you're seeking justice, true and comprehensive justice, it is found in Jesus Christ. And I hope to show this over the course of this series. If you are a follower of Jesus, seeking him, he will lead you into justice, doing it, not just arguments and debates about it, but the actual doing of justice. And I hope to show this as well. True and full justice requires Jesus. And the true Jesus requires justice. Each week we'll be unpacking this from different places in Scripture. Last week we looked at a prophetic text, and that's one of the major themes of the prophets. We looked at Isaiah chapter 58, where Isaiah, he calls out spiritual impostors who say they have faith but don't care about justice. In fact, they do injustice. And in that text we saw a prophetic call and description of the kind of justice God calls for and this great call to repentance. This week I want to take a step back and look at those Psalms that we just read in order for us to look at the foundation and the heart of the Bible's call and teaching on justice. The biblical concept, the biblical definition of justice, what is justice? When we talk about justice, what are we talking about exactly? The Bible's definition of justice is rich. It's comprehensive. And there are two main parts to the biblical definition of justice that I want to look at with you today. Both are important and need to be held together. We're going to look at them one at a time by looking at the Psalms. Then we'll see how these two aspects of justice lead us into the doing of justice as God requires, as described in Micah the prophet, chapter 6, verse 8. So I'm going to give you a sequence here. It's the, the sequence is the title of this message. Tremble at the justice of God, rejoice in the justice of God, and then act out, act for the justice of God. I think that sequence, according to Scripture, is very important, especially for today's conversations about justice. So let's, let's look at these psalms first. The first step to becoming a person who does justice the way that God calls for is to be a person that trembles at the justice of God. Now, I hope you have your Bible open or you have a Bible app or something handy because we're going to move in and out of a bunch of passages here. But Psalm 97, the first passage that Marcella read, it describes an encounter with God. Uh, the technical term for this is a theophany, the appearance and the coming near of God. If God were to come close, if we were to meet the God of the universe, Psalm 97 says this is what it would be like. 
clouds and total darkness, fire burning, all his foes on every side experiencing this fire, lightning lighting up the world, the earth trembles, the mountains melt like wax before the coming of the judge. That doesn't sound very inviting. That sounds terrifying. Why is the earth trembling? Why is everything unraveling? The reason is given in verse 2 of Psalm 97. It says, because righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Foundation, that Hebrew word, it, it means something fixed, something immovable, something unchanging. To meet God is to meet his perfect and fixed, unchangeable justice and holiness. If this is who God is, it should cause us to tremble. Why? Well, I want to look quickly to another psalm. We'll put it up on the screen. Psalm 82. Psalm 82 says, verses 2 through 5, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Sounds a lot like uh, the call from Isaiah 58. Rescue the poor and needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. And then God says, they do not know the people he's speaking to. They do not understand. They wander in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. When we do nothing about injustice, when we ignore the rights and the needs of the poor, this psalm is saying the very foundations of the universe are shaken. It's like we're attempting to undo the very foundation of the rule of God. Psalm 99, it adds to this. So look at that in your Bibles or on your apps. Justice is not only the foundation to God's rule over the world, it is central to his heart. He loves justice. Verse 4 says, the mighty king loves justice. The psalmist says in verse 1, this should make the earth quake as well and tremble. It should cause us, he says in verse 5, to get down on our knees and worship, bowing down on our face before him. So putting it all together, what this means is that injustice not only breaks God's law as judge, the Psalms say it breaks his heart. And this should cause us to tremble, that we will all stand before the judgment of a perfect God of justice. It should cause these trembling questions to rise into our hearts and minds. Is justice the foundation of my life? Have I loved justice the way that God loves justice? These passages highlight the definition of justice according to the Bible, part one. We'll put that up on the slide as well. Justice, I want to break this down as simple as I can, is giving people their due. That's what these passages describe. This is what should make us tremble. This justice definition includes giving people just punishment, if that is what they deserve and what is due to them. Vindication, if that is what is due to them. Or the right of the vulnerable as people made in the image of God, their due right to care and protection and provision. These Psalms say God as judge will give all people their just due according to his just and fixed eternal standard of right, which is what? 
Well, in general terms, have we given God his due as the king of our lives? And have we given other people their due as people made in the image of God? Now, that is intense. I want to share an illustration. It's, it's maybe just a little too lighthearted, but it's, it's the best one that came to mind to me this week. Uh, our latest family pandemic distraction and uh, time to laugh. Some of us in the Kapoor family have been enjoying the incredible cinematic saga known as Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Part one, two, and three. Yes, there are three. And it reminded me in, in watching these films, uh, they talk about how chihuahuas, they, ha they shake, you know, they tremble. If you've seen a chihuahua, you know, it's kind of cute. Uh, they shake. And it reminded me, though, when I was a kid, we took care of our friend's uh, little pet chihuahua. He was very, very tiny. His name was Woofy. And we took care of him for a long time, a week or two. And one, one, one thing we notice is uh, sometimes he would disappear. And when he would disappear, it was usually when there was a thunderstorm. I grew up in Florida, so the thunderstorms are loud and intense and lightning hits hard. And so when a thunderstorm would hit, we would be like, where's Woofy? Where, where did he go? And we would look for him everywhere. And we'd find him in my parents' closet, trembling in the dark in the corner. Oh, So we said, oh, it's okay, Woofy, it's okay. But think about this. Here's the point. It's a, it's a very rational response for a tiny little chihuahua. It's a little frail, tiny chihuahua. What chance does he stand against a mighty tropical storm with all of its lightning and thunder? Nothing. He, he, he was being very reasonable. Now it is a bit lighthearted, but to the nth degree, the Psalms and the Bible as a whole says, if we even know God, just one ounce of his reality, and we know ourselves, it should cause us to tremble at his justice, at how far we fall short. A few thoughts on this. A lot of people, <clears throat> maybe this describes you, react to this, what I'm saying here in this part of the Bible, and say, this is what I don't like about the Bible. All this talk of judgment, a God who is a judge. And I want you to consider this for a moment. Just let's think about this. What is preferable? being accountable to a God of perfect and unchanging justice, as the God of the Bible is described, or being accountable to the changing and imperfect judgment of human beings. I want you to think about how these are really our choices, right? I sense in our culture a shift here, a pretty dramatic shift uh, with the concept of judgment. About maybe 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, uh, the thinking used to be judgment. No, let's not talk about it. Uh, that just divides, you know, that's just something we need to let go of. We need to all be tolerant, let people do what they want to do, think what they want to think. Let's just get along. Now it seems to me that is not how we think. The floodgates of judgment have been opened. Judgment is everywhere in our divisions as a culture on political, moral, and cultural issues. We are quicker to judge than ever. We are more harsh and unforgiving in our judgments than ever. And our favorite tool in dealing with disagreement has become judgment. We call it canceling or silencing. It really amounts to a kind of excommunication. You will be excommunicated if you speak the wrong thing, if you ask the wrong question. Judgment is harsh. And so everyone is afraid to have honest dialogue and to work through hard 
issues of difference. Why are we so afraid? It's because judgment. <laughs> we are swimming in it. Now, if this is something you struggle with, this idea of the God of judgment, <clears throat> consider, honestly, that we can no longer say, no, just let's do away with judgment. The question is, whose judgment are we accountable to? These Psalms say we are accountable to a God of perfect justice. I'm going to develop this a little bit later, but I just want you to consider that. More could be said. I also want to address this. There is a lot of attention being paid now to the categories, dividing humanity into the categories of the oppressed and the oppressors. These are absolutely biblical categories. They're important ones. We saw this last week, but these Psalms teach us that they're not the only ones. The Bible doesn't give us a one-dimensional picture of the human condition and sin, and we need all of it. It gives us the full picture, all the dimensions that overlap and overlay one another. The categories we have from Psalms 97 and 99 are these. There are sinners. There are two categories of people, sinners who tremble at the justice of God and sinners who don't. And sinners who tremble can do justice without doing more harm because they know they are accountable to a God of perfect justice. Sinners who don't tremble are in danger of becoming oppressors, even as they advocate and work for justice. We need the full range of biblical categories. So, my Christian friends, let me speak to you. This, this tells us Christians can have firm conviction, but also trembling application when it comes to justice. A Christian must have firm conviction about the importance of justice. It's not secondary. It's foundational. It's at the very heart of God. God loves it, and so should we. Firm conviction, but trembling application. What does this look like? What am I called to do? What should this look like in any particular political environment that I find myself living in? There should be trembling application, not overconfident. A Christian knows that the only person who is qualified to speak about justice is the person who first trembles in awe at the justice of God from a place of trembling awe. Let's move on to the second point. More could be said about that, but Psalm 97, Psalm 99, we just talked about it, say that when the God of justice comes close, everything melts, everything shakes, everything burns. But Psalm 96 and Psalm 97, right here in the middle of the trembling psalms, present a very different picture. Instead of trembling in awe at God's justice, what do we find? Clapping, singing, dancing, rejoicing, gladness. This seems like a totally contradictory picture in response to the same reality. God is judge. He is a God of justice. Psalm 96, 11 says, Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is coming to judge. We go, is, is this the same earth that was trembling in Psalm 97, 4 at God's judgment? Well, let's, look at, let's go on. Psalm 98. The whole earth, it says, Shout to the Lord. Be jubilant for joy in the presence of our King, the Lord, for why? Why so much joy? He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and fairly. Is this the same earth that was quaking in Psalm 99? 
Yes. Should we tremble? Should we fall on our face at God's justice? Or should we dance and sing and clap for joy? Yes, the Bible says yes, both. These passages, Psalm 97 and 99, or 96 and 98, I should say. 97 and 99 highlight the trembling. 96 and 98 highlight justice definition part two. Let's put that slide up, part two of that definition. Justice, according to the Bible, is setting things right. That's what it means. The word in Hebrew is mishpat. What it means is that a judge does more than decide what is right and wrong according to a standard. A judge sets all wrongs right. Justice is the reestablishment of God's order whenever it's broken or violated. God's justice doesn't stop at making decisions. It is a restorative justice. That's why there's so much joy in these psalms. God will restore. God will set all things right. In the Bible, the hope for justice in this world is at the foundation of God's character, is the center of his heart. He loves justice, and justice will be done. All wrongs will be set right. Judgment is coming, saying that is the same thing as saying justice is coming, is the same thing as saying all things broken, all things out of order will be made right again. And this should make us rejoice. Our hope for justice is not in government, politics, any nation, any ideology, our own activism. Our hope is in the justice of God. Let me share an illustration. Um, what's easier? <laughs> Say you have a giant boulder, a big rock. What's easier with this rock? To push it up a slide and get it to the top of a slide, say a slide in a playground, or to roll it down that same slide. Well, it's far easier, right, to roll the boulder down the slide. Why? Because you're working with gravity, not against it. In the Bible, we have great hope that when we work for justice, when we advocate for justice, when we work for the poor and oppressed to set things right that are not right according to God's design, that we are working with the grain of the universe, with the goal and the force that is moving history to its end. Without the God of the Bible, without these Psalms, without God and his commitment and his promise to set things right, if there is no God, if there is no God of justice, then justice is just pushing that boulder up the slide. Haven't we seen it in human history? The oppressors are overthrown by the oppressed. And what happens? They become the new oppressors. History is rampant with human injustice. Is there ever going to be an end to it? Is it pushing up the boulder, up the slide? No, the Bible says. The gravity of the universe is moving towards justice. God promises it. So these psalms serve as great hope for the world whose history is so stained by injustice. It's a source of joy, especially for victims of injustice, for the oppressed. Mirsal Volf is a Croatian theologian. One of his most well-known works is called Exclu Exclusion and Embrace, and he reflects on justice and forgiveness. 
from the standpoint of someone who lived through the Yugoslavian wars, he was in Croatia, seeing great brutality and injustice done on both sides. He says in that book, I'm paraphrasing his thought, that the people who are most averse to a doctrine of judgment are people who are the most comfortable. He says the thesis that, you know what is wrong with the world, it's, it's this idea of judgment that creates violence. He says that thesis is only tenable. It's only, it only makes sense to people who are living in the comfort of the suburbs. But people who have been through injustice know that the only thing holding them back from vengeance, if they get the power, is to believe that their lives are accountable to a God of justice and that justice is ultimately in his hands and will be done. God the judge will set things right. The Psalms say rejoice in holding these two things together, the trembling and the rejoicing. The trembling and the rejoicing is what leads us to doing justice. But there's great tension there, isn't there? How does that work? If the coming of God's justice will melt everything and shake us to the core because of our sin, how can we possibly rejoice in that? They don't seem to go together. The answer is the only way that we can rejoice is in this. Like these Psalms tell us, and not just be stuck in trembling, is only if, is that when judgment and justice comes, when God comes to set things right, I know that I am already right with him. Then I can rejoice. But if I don't know, if I know I'm not, then I will only tremble. Think about this. Say you have a court day here in, in our legal system. You have a court day. Uh, do you go into that court day, stepping into the courtroom trembling, or do you go in rejoicing? Well, it all has to do with the verdict you expect to get and how confident you are in that verdict, right? If you know you are guilty and you know it's going to come out and be revealed, you go in trembling. But if you know you're innocent, you know it will be proven through the course of justice. You go in rejoicing. One is the day of your trembling. One is the day where you will rejoice and say, finally, I'm going to be proved innocent and vindicated. It comes a day of joy. Friends, this is where the doctrine of justification by faith through grace alone comes in with great power. This is where we see the difference it makes to making us people of justice. To be justified means to be made right with God, to be set right with God, to be declared righteous. Justification by faith. The heart of the Christian message says you can experience God's declaration, that you are right with Him. Now that the future declaration, when He comes as judge, you can get it now in the present by faith in Jesus alone. Romans 3.26 says, through Jesus, what we see is the only way that God can be just, like he's described in the Psalms, be a God of justice and be a God who justifies. The only way is through the cross. If Jesus takes our judgment and if he gives us the verdict upon his life, righteous and just. 
if I am already justified, some of us might think, if I know that that verdict, I am already right with God, then doesn't that mean that I could just live however I want? Paul addresses this in many different places. The New Testament addresses this in many different places. If we think that, it's a sign that we don't understand. We've never trembled before the foot of the cross, where God's justice is fully revealed, where we see what a life not built on the foundation of his justice that doesn't have at its heart his justice, what that life will end up in separation from God under his judgment. We've never trembled and we've never rejoiced at the gift of justification, never understood what it is that we have been set right with the God of the universe. When we tremble and when we rejoice and when we see that we have been given the gift of being set right with God, we become people who set things right with Him. In other words, people who do justice. Let's look now at Micah 6.8, final point. I want to try to pull it all together. In light of one of the most famous passages in the Bible on justice, Micah 6.8, where God says through the prophet, He has shown you mankind, all of you, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's all there summarized for us in one verse. We tremble, we rejoice, and then we act. There are three parts to this. <laughs> act. It says act, do. Do justice, act. Don't just think about it. The sign and the evidence and the fruit that we are right with God is when justice and righteousness is the foundation of our lives. We build our lives on it. We base our decisions on it, on what God says about justice. It becomes something we love like He loves. And when justice isn't done in the world, it's like our foundations are shaken, our heart is broken. And so we don't just think uh, we don't just argue, we don't just debate. We act. He says do it. Micah and all the prophets and if you look at the context of Micah chapter 6, similar pro uh, context in all the prophets here. There was the empty performance of religion that was going on and Micah says God is not interested in that, the external shell, just like Isaiah 58 said last week. He is interested in the doing of justice. You know, so much of the talk about justice happening now all around us is very performative. It's just talk. It does nothing. It bears no cost. Just a debate going back and forth, judging other people who's right and who's wrong about these issues. And the truth is, empty religion, God says, that does nothing. Also, empty secular religion is open to the same charge or the type of response that is just performative where we want to post or argue or talk at the end of the day all that performative action is just as hollow as the empty uh, religion that Micah is describing both are about self justification, proving our rightness, judging others. One side judges those who are not woke enough or whatever term you want to put in there. The other side judges those who are too woke. And it judges the poor. 
and the victims of injustice for the situations they are in. But what both have in common is neither act, all too often. The Bible says, people of God, there is a time to think. There's a time to think well. There's a time to act. There's a time to advocate. At the end of it all, there is a time to do. And that is what God is calling us to. Christian friends, God has told us this is what he wants us to do. Justice in the Bible is not an abstract concept to think about. It is who God is. It is what he does. It is to be who we are and what we do. Act. Act, though, with love. Justice can't be separated from love. God loves justice. We saw why. Not as an abstract concept. It's because God loves people that he loves justice. And you can't really love an abstract people in a way that will make any difference for actual people suffering injustice, in a way that will move you to costly action. You need to get close to actual people who are suffering, who are the victims of injustice. The word that Micah uses here is... Uh, it's translated many different ways, depending on the translation. Love mercy, love chesed. It's the word for covenant faithfulness, loyalty, and commitment. Justice requires covenantal love, which cannot be done from afar, which cannot be done from our computers, which cannot be done just in our minds, but it has to be done in close proximity to those who are in need. Act with love and act with humility. It says, walk humbly with your God. The word there is walk circumspectly. Walk with a great awareness of the accountability you live your life in before God. Speak and think as one from a place of humility. Even though we can have confidence, if our hope is in Jesus, we will not be judged and punished. Don't leave behind the trembling as one who can only face Judgment, the judgment of God by the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. Walk always with humility as you think about these issues, as you encounter them, as you encounter even people who disagree with you. Walk humbly with your God. I want to wrap up with this. We're going to look at a number of more passages, so there is much more to be said. But this sequence here is very important. As we think about how the Bible defines justice, we must tremble. It is God who is just. But we can rejoice. He will set things right, and we can be set right with him by faith in Jesus in the sign that we are. And we understand that we have truly rejoiced and received the gift of righteousness in Jesus. So that we begin to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. How is God calling us to act? Well, I hope we think about this for the next few weeks. There are some really encouraging signs that are happening in our church family. We have a few encouraging things to build on. And our compassion team is meeting today. Pray for them as they help us with this. On Friday, a, a group representing our church served uh, the community at Skyview School, which many of you know, a school for family of the, the children of families who are in situations of homelessness. The encouraging thing is that Skyview a number of times has reached out to us, Trinity, and said, here's how we need help. And we've been able to say, thank you for asking. We can do it. We can meet that need. We establish that kind of 
credibility and trust. So thank you for those who went and served. And let's continue to think about how we can serve that community as well as a community in Hard Park. When they asked us a few months ago, can you help feed us? We responded with yes. We, we took action. And those are, those are a few things, some very important things. Let's build on those things. Let's consider how, as a church family, we can act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. Would you pray with me? Father, we don't tremble as we ought before your justice. We presume. We have self-righteousness. We avoid it. But I pray that we would feel it and it would lead us not to running from you, but running to you, that we might rejoice that you are a God who will fix all broken things, including our broken lives, including all things broken by injustice, and that we would rejoice that we get to be a part of that, that we are set right by your son, Jesus. And now we can be among those who work alongside you in setting things right, in word and in deed. So help us as a community we process this this season and individuals help us be bold sacrificial and open-hearted before you how can we walk more humbly and faithfully with you god show us and teach us we pray in jesus name amen